Today we head to Cajun country and learn about the Axemen of New Orleans. We'll start by exploring murders in the early 20th century, mostly targeting Italian families. We'll discuss the gruesome actions committed on sleeping families, the basic MO of this killer, and finally, look at possible leads and theories into who may be responsible for these heinous crimes. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought New Orleans was only hurricanes and jazz, stick around. Because 100 years ago, if your surname happened to end with a vowel, you might be paid a visit one night by an axe-wielding maniac. This is Necronomapod. that patty moriarty episode last week we can set the uh on spotify every week the the q a questions or the poll questions so mm-hmm. i i set the question at um is foster's australian for beer to, to tweak the aussies a little bit and they they were tweaked <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of a lot of responses this week i love it i love that legitimately in america their country is defined by foster's <laughs> Like, that's legit what we think of, and they get so pissed about that. That's so funny. <laughs> We've been told forever that Foster's is Australian for beer, <laughs> and they do not like that one bit. Just like uh, Outback Steakhouse is authentic. <laughs> that's right. Authentic Australian food. Yeah. When I go there, I know I'm eating kangaroo steak. <laughs> it's fine, and I'll get a Foster's, and it tastes like I would imagine Australia tastes like not great. <laughs> Not great. Does it hurt out back that they don't offer meat pies? Because I would try one. It might hurt their sales. Should they embrace that a little yes. bit? Yes. Yes. If I'm opening an American chain of restaurants in Australia, I'm going to have chili cheese dogs and of hamburgers. Of course. Of course. And, <laughs> and little sliders. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if this was real or not, but I saw on Instagram that I, it looks like White Castle is now doing little sloppy Joe sliders. No. <laughs> so essentially, they're taking the burger and then just putting it on a bun now, what it looks like coming out of you. <laughs> I was just going to say that. That's exactly right. <laughs> and that's what they're serving. I would 100% try one. Maybe it works the opposite. Then it will come out as solid it's matter so for a change. <laughs> <laughs> like a square with holes in it like those little patties do. <laughs> I tell you what, we talked about those meat pies. They look horrific in that documentary, but mm-hmm. a couple people from Australia sent us pictures of meat pies they made this week. Girls sent you vagina photos? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another story for another day, but um, these meat pies look outstanding. I would So they take try. their meat pies pretty seriously. Yeah, like, yeah, no, fuck yeah. that. Here's a real meat pie. Yeah. I, would, I think we said on the show, though, we would absolutely try meat pies. Hers did not look great. What was her name? Fran. Uh, Fran. No, no. But I would eat a meat pie. Like, of course. What's not to like? It's in like a little pastry thing. It's a pie and it has meat in yeah. it. Sounds awesome. Why would you not eat that? Fucking awesome. And yeah. my, my last point on Australia. Sorry, Ian. No, go ahead. I have one more that someone let us know that 
we were unaware that Australia had the most highest number of camels in the world. And I said, that's what I was just going to say. You sure about that? <laughs> that is not true. They have the highest number of feral camels in the world. But <laughs> they do not have the most camels in the world. I heard from a bunch of listeners like, yeah, we have camels that just roam around and stuff here. I'm like, it's a fucking free for all yeah, for real. It's like a million, wa- a million <laughs> feral camels are running around in the desert. In Australia, I don't know what's going on down there. What the <laughs> fuck? I'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you. I don't even remember we us. Did we discuss camels? Fran was camel making meat camel pie. meat pies. Zero recollection <laughs> of that. <laughs> and we That's said how to get camels I in don't Australia. Want a meat pie now, but apparently yeah. there's lots of them there. There's someone feral camels running around. <laughs> Where's the meat in the humps? In just the, the body? Well, the humps is the liquid, right? That's where they carry their fluid. Isn't that what it is? Camels isn't it, the fluid in the humps. That sounds accurate. You could, you could tell me that, and I would believe you. Sure. Yeah. My only experience with that is just eating camel toes, but <laughs> <laughs> good delicacy, in my opinion. So somebody like in the mid 1800s imported, brought camels from somewhere to Australia, and they multiplied a lot. Have they ever lost a war to camels? Mm. Is my question. They're about to in a <laughs> couple of years when they take over like the country. It. Then camels are going to be making human meat pies. <laughs> like I thought this person was confused, and they were saying that Australia is the has the biggest population of descendants from criminals, <laughs> and not camels. Like I thought they misspoke, but no, they, they really <laughs> meant camels. They really meant camels, and lots of feral camels. Can you imagine, like, we drive down the road here, and you got to, like, watch out for deer at night. Fucking there, you camels just running in front of you. (laughs) Wow. Like, your SUV is not going to look pretty good after hitting a fucking camel. (laughs) Anyways, we've given Australia enough publicity, free publicity today. (laughs) Don't go there. It's not for the, it's not for anyone to live there. They're all, speaking of feral, they're all feral (laughs) people over there. They're not housebroken. (laughs) <laughs> They're not. <laughs> when was the last time we discussed a serial killer that was unsolved? I feel like it's been a while. Maybe Jack the Ripper. I don't know. We usually tell when we do these stories, they usually have a end unless it's a mm-hmm. yeah. disappearance one. Yeah. Almost all the serial killer ones do. I feel like it's been a while since we have really discussed something like this. It's hard because a lot of the times these stories you do are based on the confessions that you get later when they're captured. So when that doesn't happen, right. yeah. you don't have a lot of details a lot of the time. But yeah, nothing comes to mind. It's been a while. They think of Jack the Ripper. That's about it. Yeah, that's that's really the one. Or the Cleveland Torso way back when. Yeah. Oh, Zodiac Killer. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. But even that was a while ago. Yeah, 70s. Or no, we, I mean, when we, we discussed yeah. it. Well, O.J. Simpson, we did. He was found not guilty. So the killer's <laughs> obviously still out there. I did say around. serial killer, though. <laughs> On May 22, 1918, Andrew Maggio received his draft card. He had been selected to fight in World War I, so he went to a bar on Magnolia Street in New Orleans, Louisiana, to do some heavy drinking. The war was over less than six months later. Would he have made it over there? Probably not. Well, he didn't know. No, I'm just saying. I probably would have went out and just got fucking blackout drunk, too. Absolutely. That would be the first thing I did. Daily. I always told myself, <laughs> I always told myself if I got drafted to war, I would just 
I would just become a smoker just because I feel like, yeah, if I'm going over there. I'm just going to start smoking cigarettes regularly all the time. So you look like a badass. Well, it's me like my relaxation thing. Like, yeah. Eh, I'm just going to smoke now. You can't really be drunk on the job, right? Go fucking well. smoke. <laughs> Maybe the higher ups can get away with it. They're smoking a lot of weed in Vietnam from what I understand. Well, I'm talking about the alcohols, but yes, I could do that also. I would take up the weed man. I would take up the weeds and the cigarettes. Hmm. Speaking of camels, (laughs) I want some camel blues. In the early morning hours of May 23rd, Andrew drunkenly walked to the corner of Magnolia and Upper Line Street, where he lived with his older brother, Joseph, and Joseph's wife, Catherine, who together they owned a local grocery store. Once inside, Andrew fell on his bed and passed out. Around 4.30 a.m., Andrew woke up to sounds coming from Joseph and Catherine's room. Clearly something was wrong. Something wrong here. (laughs) (laughs) And being too scared to open Joseph's door to see what was going on, Andrew ran out the front door, down the street a bit, to his older brother Jacob's house. Thought he might see sexy time. He didn't want us to do that. His brother would probably be mad at him. He he would have done great in war. I was too afraid to open a bedroom door. <laughs> Me, am I? I saw the machine. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> Together, they ran back to Joseph's house and went around to the back door. As they got closer to the back, they stopped because the door had been beaten down. So Andrew wasn't just drunkenly imagining things or dreaming. Someone had for real broken in. Together, the two of them went into Joseph's room and found Joseph and Catherine still in bed and both her throats had been slit with a straight razor. Before leaving, the killer repeatedly beat Joseph and Catherine in their heads with a blunt with the blunt end of an axe. And somehow Joseph was still barely alive while his brothers called the police, but died shortly after. There was absolutely no way that Catherine was still alive, and the brothers knew right away that her throat was cut so deep that she was almost decapitated. I might be scared to open that door too, I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like Andrew was young, like 18 or so. Like he was a young guy. It's very violent. Is getting your throat slit one of the worst ways to go? Not one of the best ways. I find that very hard to watch in movies, you know, realistic Mm -hmm. looking throat slitting and they grab it and there's just blood coming through your fingers and you're trying to hold your throat in. All the sick shit you watch, that's what does it for you? (laughs) That's the one? They can make that look very realistic and it's very... I don't know. There's something very violent about it, obviously, but because you're still alive, right? Like, and you're just feeling the yeah, blood, and you try to hold on to it, but you got seconds, really. Yeah, you shoot someone and they're dead, but I don't know. When you walk up and slit someone's throat like that and watch them bleed out, yeah, because that Oof. that last second, the last memory you have is fuck. Yeah, like shut. Like oh no, yeah, and this that's is horrible. Dumb. Yeah, that's, that's what, what OJ said anyway. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I couldn't watch that video of that hockey player. That the, oh, I didn't no, watch I wouldn't watch that. Absolutely Mm-mm. not. I read the article. Oh, I heard Jesper Jared tell us about it. Yeah. That was enough. And he even even he felt bad watching it. Yeah. He said he he probably wished he hadn't, but I think that's what he had said. There's there's a few instances of that and in just in the hockey history of mm. guys getting their neck slits, goalies getting cut with a a, a skate and should they wear a leather neck protector in the game of hockey? I mean, when I played growing up, you had to wear a neck guard. Did you? They didn't, you know, when you get up to that level. I, I don't think in college, maybe, I don't think they have to. Hmm. And in the pros, they certainly don't. But 
Um, I don't know. I, it doesn't happen often, but once is probably too much, right? Some kind of, I mean, there's literally razor blades on your skates. Like accidents happen. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen guys get their arms sliced. When I was playing as a kid, mm. a, a kid got his arm sliced up bad because a skate accidentally kind of stepped on his. There's not a lot of protection on the forearm, yeah. with the under of the forearm. Should the ice skating portion of hockey be removed due to how dangerous it is? You how just about walk? You run around. You run. Well, that's. I mean, that's called field hockey. That exists. You run around in just tennis shoes on ice. That could that's be fun, bad. right? You're just falling slide. all over the place. Oh, I want to see people fall on their ass too. That's funny, right? <laughs> Put baby oil on the bottom of their shoes and right. set them out on the ice. It's not bad. Much safer. <laughs> Until they all get CTE from fucking <laughs> cracking their heads and falling on the ice. In the house, police found clothing stained with blood, believed to belong to the killer, who apparently swapped them for fresh clothes before leaving. The straight razor, still covered in blood, was found on the ground of an adjacent property. The razor belonged to Andrew Maggio, who did own a barbershop nearby. Esteban Torres, an employee of Andrew's, told the police that Andrew had taken the razor from the shop a couple days before the killings, saying that he needed to fix a small nick in the blade. Do we think the guy brought a change of clothes, or did he dump his clothes and take one of the guy's outfits and put it on? I wonder. We don't, I took we don't it, know. I took it as he stole someone's clothes. That's just what my yeah, mind went to. Same, same. That's why I said that. Maybe he brought yeah. his own change of clothes, though. And in this day and age, you wouldn't leave your own bloody clothes behind. But back then. But we're also going to get to a theme in this where he seems to leave the axes behind. Like, it's weird that. But he uses their axe a lot of times, too. But that was going to be my question. I didn't know if he was using theirs. We'll get to that. Or if yeah. he was, you know, just going to Home Depot, fucking buying an axe. <laughs> Bought like 12 of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had to buy them all at once because if you kept buying them, they'd suspect you. Absolutely. You had to buy in bulk. Be in their system as a frequent axe buyer. Yeah. <laughs> People would be talking about you like, there's that weird guy's <laughs> buying an axe again. I wish we had the Home Depot music on <laughs> queued up. We just start playing that. Hey, you're that axe murderer, aren't you? <laughs> no, no. I just cut down trees. Okay. <laughs> I believe Go ahead. You. Here's your axe. Can you buy axes at Home Depot? I don't fucking know. Oh, where do you buy an axe? Well, sure. Can you? Yeah. Okay. Is there an axe aisle? That's pretty fucking cool if there's an axe aisle. I think so. I think it's with the sledgehammers. That's fucking awesome. I'm going to start going to Home Depot. <laughs> Go to a sledge. Excuse me, sir. Where's your axe and sledgehammer aisle? Looking to fuck shit up. Yes, clerk. I've got some murdering to do. Uh, point me to your best <laughs> axe. <laughs> I mean, murdering of trees, of course. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Near the crime scene, a message was found written on the ground. Quote, Mrs. Maggio will sit up tonight just like Mrs. Tony. Police took this as a callback to a previous axe attack in 1911 on Anthony and Joanna Siambra, also Italian grocery store owners. That assault resulted in Mrs. Siambra's death who was commonly referred to by her patrons as Mrs. Tony. The Siambras weren't the only victims that the killer could have been made reference to. Historian Miriam Davis believes that the Siambras weren't the killer's first victim, that the Axman's first murder did happen in 1911, but it started with Joe and Mary Davy. Is it Mrs. Tony because her husband's Anthony, so she's Mrs. Tony? That's, that's how I read it, right? Yeah. yeah, this is interesting. A lot of the... 
stories, or not a lot, but some of them like, include these earlier murders as part of it, and then they call them the earlier murders, and mm-hmm. it's kind of a lot of violence going on in New Orleans around this time, much like today, I yeah. guess. But. <laughs> Joe Davy, a 26-year-old Italian immigrant, opened a small grocery store with his pregnant wife, Mary, in 1911. In the early hours of June 27, 1911, Mary was awoken to find a man in their bedroom who was demanding to know where they kept their money. Mary was in shock and was unable to respond, to which this guy hit. It's me, Mario! <laughs> Sorry, I missed the timing on that one. But you'll have to fix that. Mary, Mario, it's the same thing. <laughs> well, I wonder, is it right when you said a man standing above her and I was late on it? Do it again. That'll be good. I, I think we should keep it like this. I think it's better. <laughs> Hold on. It's just fucking he's hitting coins <laughs> above their bed. The man was demanding to know where they kept their money. Mary was in shock and unable to respond, to which the man hit her on the head, causing her to lose consciousness. After regaining consciousness, Mary found that she was bleeding from her head and the bed sheets were soaked in blood. Her husband, Joe, was laying next to her with a severe skull fracture and still alive for the moment. But unfortunately, Joe later died at the hospital. The coroner said that Joe's head injury was caused by a sharp, heavy blade consistent with a butcher's cleaver, which resulted in the killer being nicknamed in the newspapers as the cleaver. Oh, the cleaver. Not beaver cleaver, (laughs) just the cleaver. Remember the wrestler Beaver Cleavage? Yes. <laughs> Beaver Cleavage. That is the first thing I think of anytime Beaver Cleaver is brought up is fucking Beaver Cleavage. So dumb. That's yeah. funny. And it was like his his mom was his manager, but it was just this fucking huge boobed woman. And they had like, you know, sexual innuendos going on between them. It was Mosh from the Headbangers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wrestling is too he high for these days. <laughs> he would have that little hat with, like, the little spinny thing on top. And he sure, wears sure. a, like, Angus Young schoolboy outfit to the ring. And then, like, he would roll out of the ring and, like, hug his mom's, like, chest. <laughs> she was just fucking half spilling out of her oh, shirt. That's fantastic. Wrestling used to be so fucking awesome. <laughs> that it did. I became pussified. <laughs> Mary was able to give a description of the killer. He was a white man, clean-shaven, dressed in workman's attire, and spoke in clear, unaccented English. The unaccented English led police to suspect that the killer was committing hate crimes against Italian immigrants. Which is stuff's very interesting. I didn't know any of this. So I learned something new with this yeah, story. Yeah. Following the end of slavery in 1863, a significant influx of Italian immigrants, predominantly from Sicily, arrived in the southern parts of the United States. They took up jobs as laborers in farms and worked on plantations, often working side by side with black laborers. This association between the two minority groups led to the Italians facing equal discrimination sometimes from the white Southern population as the black communities were suffering. Very tolerant bunch, those Southern whites. (laughs) They were often stereotyped as being of very low intelligence, and there were cases of Italians falling victim to lynch mobs. I I had no idea that that was even a thing. Mm -mm. As time progressed, these Italian immigrants began to improve their economic standing. By the early 20th century, many of them had built up savings to start their own businesses in New Orleans. 
They formed a large community, particularly in the older decaying sections of the French Quarter, settling primarily in the lower part of the district near the Mississippi River. This eventually became known as Little Palermo. Among their businesses, grocery stores were the most popular. And by 1900, Italians made up 27% of New Orleans' population. So the thought is, is that the rise in economic status probably played a role in the motive for the crimes that were attributed to the cleaver and mm. eventually the accident. So Mafia Mike, do you feel that the root cause of these killings is perhaps that these Italian grocers didn't have enough gabagool on their, <laughs> in their stores and somebody was mad they wanted gabagool? Oh! <laughs> this guy, he's prejudiced against Italians? What a cock! You come in my store, I'll fucking uh, <laughs> shove a gabagool straight up your ass! <laughs> <laughs> Finally, work gabagool into the show. What does that mean? It's capicola, the, the cured meat. Oh, like okay. On the Sopranos, they yeah. call it gabagool. Okay. Which I have no idea where that comes like from. Like Michael but. Scott in the uh, office. What does he order at the restaurant? The gabagool or the <laughs> fucking <laughs> ridiculous when he's out with the insurance guy? Speaking of... Uh, Sopranos, you remember the horror movie that Christopher, that they were making? Cleaver. Yeah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. There you go. There's your Sopranos, double tying for the day. Look at that. Two in one episode. You never watched that show, have you? I watched the first episode once. Long time ago. <laughs> never went back. Like, it wasn't bad. I just never went back and watched it. There's a lot of episodes. And yeah. the commitment of that is overwhelming to me. I'm sure I would like it. I love every mob movie, gangster movie that has yeah. ever been made. I just haven't done it. Like we said, the newspapers jumped on a cleaver being used as the murder weapon and started running headlines nicknaming the killer the cleaver. Police offered a $500 reward for information that led to the capture of the killer, and the Italian community was on high alert. In the cases of both the Siambras and the Davies, nothing of value was taken, so these were clearly hate crimes. Gradually, the cleaver faded from the newspapers and kind of became war within Italian communities, specifically with the younger population, until he seemingly showed back up seven years later with the murder of the Maggios. Mm. The question is, is it the same guy or is it a copycat? There's theories on yeah. both sides of that. And <clears throat> so there was no murders in that seven years that they think could be tied into this. Not that I'm aware of. There were a couple more in 1910, 1911 that may have been associated with that guy because we can't get into everything, but then it just kind of cold turkeyed out yeah. for seven years. That's weird. Like, that's where you think, like, oh, maybe this guy got locked up for some time or yeah. a copycat, like yeah, you yeah. said. Maybe moved out of the area or something. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you don't, you don't often, you always see those breaks with the serial killers, right? Like that cool off period. Yeah. And then they start ramping back up, but never that long. Right. That's a, that's a nice vacation. <laughs> oh, that's the wrong one. <laughs> I love that song. You can play that every episode. <laughs> what episode was that from? Why do we pull that? Ming. 
Ming was driving. Oh, he's going to an RV. Right. Driving up, driving up north, right? <laughs> going to an electronics convention That's or right. whatever the fuck That's that right. was. That's right. <laughs> Sometimes I forget about all this shit we talk about. That's goddamn funny. That's good stuff. <laughs> Who wouldn't love us? It's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic podcast professionalism right there. Like Seinfeld's mom. Who wouldn't like you? Yeah. <laughs> How can anybody not like you? <laughs> Jerry, don't say that. <laughs> so now back to the Maggios being murdered in 1918. The razor blade that was used to kill Joseph and Catherine belonged to Andrew. He was a barber. He was thrown into jail and just grilled. And the way it was described was like really hot you know, 1918 jail is not very pleasant. Just locked down there, grilled hours after hours. Awful. But he never changed his story, and they eventually let him go. But he was the prime suspect for a long time. Hmm. Did he never end up going overseas for the war then? I don't think I don't so. Know. I don't know. Probably not. They held him in jail. That's the problem with a lot of stuff. These records are terrible. Like, yeah. they don't have definitive answers to a lot of things. On June 27th, 1918, during their early morning hours, Louis Basumer and his mistress, Harriet Lowe, were in an apartment behind Louis's grocery store. Louis suffered an axe blow above his right temple, fracturing his skull, while Harriet was severely injured over her ear and was unconscious when the police arrived. They were found around 7 a.m. by John Zanka, a bakery wagon driver, during his routine visit to the store. In the apartment's bathroom, police found the axe, which was owned by Lewis, and that was believed to what was used in the attack. Lewis told the police that he had been asleep when everything happened. Shortly after, Lewis Ubicon, a 41-year-old black man who was previously employed at Lewis's store, was arrested. Despite the lack of concrete evidence, the police detained him, citing his inconsistent statements about his whereabouts on the morning of the attack. The motive was presumed to be robbery, but no items were stolen, no money, anything like that again. And thankfully, Ubicon was eventually released due to insufficient evidence linking him to the crime because it was 100% not him. Hmm. It's actually kind of surprising that they let him go, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I just execute him. You guys would have loved that. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, okay. What do you think it's like to be sound asleep in your bed and you wake up and someone has put an axe into your into your skull? I'd wake like, up with a splitting headache. <laughs> <laughs> so but in reading this though, like is this not very much like um uh Richard Ramirez? Wouldn't yeah. he attack people with like a hammer while they were sleeping and stuff? Yeah, and yeah. like I it was I was thinking like this was this is very similar to that kind of. Very up close, personal, and brutal. Yeah. And and a lot of his people survived, right? Or at least there was there was a few people we talked about, I feel like, with Ramirez that like there were attacked or hit with a hammer that were brutally just beaten and then ended up living. He shot a couple people in the head with that, a twenty two when they lived. Shooting yeah. people. At least two or three people survived. More than you would think. Yeah. Yeah. Which is similar to this story. Yeah. Not shooting, but even People survive after they're getting fucking hit with mallets and axes or whatever else. Yeah. I guess you just go into pilot, autopilot, right? <clears throat> I suppose. You don't stop to think about what just happened to you. 
you maybe you don't know if you're in a dead sleep yeah. and you just wake up. <laughs> like, I think we're going to talk about someone here near the end of this one that just wakes up and goes into like fight or flight mm. and fucking just color from the top of the head down. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a scary visual, but we're in a third person, you know, point of view looking at them. Not first person when it's coming down and yeah. you, you wake up. And when that adrenaline's flying and you sure. don't know what's going on, I mean, I guess that's it's very possible. I don't want to experience it. That's why I shut my door at night. So, Because <laughs> they can't just open the door. Well, they'll be like, oh, no, that door's shut. They, they he, try- he doesn't want to be disturbed. <laughs> they, they ain't trying to fuck around and find out. If your door's open, like, oh, they're fucking around. They're about to find out. Suspicion then shifted to Lewis Basumer himself when letters in various languages were found in his house raising concerns that he might have been a German spy. This led to a government-led espionage investigation. Weeks later, Harriet Lowe was still going in and out of consciousness. She accused Lewis of being a German spy, which resulted in his arrest. (laughs) He brought all the sound clips today. (laughs) We're offending every uh, nationality. He was released two days later, but rearrested in August of 1918, following Harriet's statement made on her deathbed in Charity Hospital after an unsuccessful surgery, accusing him of attacking her. He faced murder charges and spent nine months in jail before being acquitted in May of 1919. Mm. The media grilled Harriet Lowe, especially after it was revealed that she was not Louis Basumer's wife, but she was his mistress. They played up the story, particularly after an incident at Cherry Hospital where Lewis was denied access to Harriet because he referred to her as Mrs. Harriet Lowe. The situation escalated when Lewis's legal wife got back from a trip that she was taking to Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh-oh. <laughs> Harriet further attracted media attention by blasting the New Orleans police chief. After her marital status became public, Harriet told reporters that she would no longer assist the police and that police chief Mooney was the one who leaked the details of her and Lewis's affair to the press. Like we said, she passed away two days after undergoing surgery to fix facial paralysis she suffered from the attack. Hmm. Seems like uh, charges should have been dropped, no? There's no witness. Like, isn't that your goal in a murder trial to kill... The witness, so they can't testify against you. Like, if the witness dies, what, what kind of evidence are you presenting at trial? Obviously, none because they acquitted him in 10 minutes. Today's show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Well, 2024 is upon us, and resolutions and fresh goals are aplenty. While everyone is trying to improve or better themselves, have you ever given any thought to areas where you're already thriving? What are some things you don't want to change in your life this year? Maybe it's time to stop thinking new year, new me, because you're probably pretty great just as you are. Around New Year's, we tend to get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. Maybe you finally organized a few rooms in your home, and now it's time to tackle other rooms. Or maybe you take supplements every morning, and now you want to actually eat breakfast too. Therapy can help you find your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes in your life that really stick. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself, and when you start walking around with that extra confidence, that extra swag, nothing can hold you back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. It's time to start celebrating the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Necro today and get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Necro. On the evening of August 5th, 1918, Anna Schneider, a 28-year-old woman who was eight months pregnant, was awoken by a dark figure standing over her. The intruder violently struck her in the face multiple times, resulting in a deep gash on her scalp. Gash. Gash. And her face being covered in blood. It's less offensive when it's a fucking brutal wound than when we're talking about a fucking woman slit. (laughs) That's just as bad, too. Goddamn. Oh, so you can say gash, but I can't. I said slit. I see how it is. Slit's fine. No big deal. We start using the British term minge. Good one. That's all right. Minge. Let's see that. I don't know. It sounds a little rancid. (laughs) Minge. Like a minge goes goes bad. Like a minge has an expiration date. Not this, minge. (laughs) What? what? You sure about that? Not that minge. Minge. Like like a minge has a best of date (laughs) or best buy date. Gash is just so offensive. It is very offensive. <laughs> it's <just> awful. <laughs> her husband, Ed Schneider, found her shortly after midnight after returning from work late. Anna claimed to have no recollection of the assault, and she ended up giving birth to a healthy baby girl just two days later, which is kind of crazy. Her husband told police that their home had not been burglarized except for 6 or $7 from his wallet. A search of their apartment showed no signs of forced entry through the windows or doors. Police also found that the attacker didn't use an axe, but this time used a lamp that was on a nearby table to hit Anna. Hmm. Perhaps he was trying to shade his identity. Mm. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Are we sure this is the axe man? This seems like a lamp man crime. <laughs> Not related at all. And the Schneiders, no Italiano going on there. It's true. I declare. Oh. <laughs> and not even one of us. What, we're no good anymore? You ain't gonna kill us? The fuck are you and your gabagool? <laughs> gabagool. It's the bus. I declare that this is not part of the Axeman murders. Mmm. <laughs> wow. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> the profile doesn't match. Doesn't? Not at all. Mm-mm. Lamp? Come on. It was one of those oil lamps, too. Like one of those roll oh, ones. God. That, like that thick glass. Oh, yeah. Doink. So no shade. <laughs> Thanks for mentioning that. Now my <laughs> stupid pun doesn't even work. <laughs> At this point, the leading detectives on the case acknowledged the media's reporting and started to publicly consider the possibility that this attack was linked to the earlier assaults and murders. The next victims were Joseph Romano, who was an older man, lived with his nieces, Pauline and Mary Bruno. On the night of August 10th, 1918, his two nieces were woken up by noises coming from their uncle's room. Rushing in, they found Joseph severely injured, having suffered deep gashes on his head. They saw the attacker making an escape, which he was described as stocky, dark-complexioned, wearing a dark suit and a slouched hat. Despite his injuries, Joseph managed to walk to the ambulance when it arrived, but unfortunately died two days later. Oh, shit. That's, That's crazy. Walk to the ambulance, but then you're probably bleeding out enough. Yeah. 
or have some like hemorrhaging going on. Yeah. It's like that hockey player skating off the. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Off the rink. So stocky, dark complexion is a little bit of a different description than we've heard previously, correct? Yes. You're also talking to people that are being bludgeoned in the head, right? Oh, no. The girls saw him running out, right? Wasn't she after she was attacked, though? No, they weren't attacked. They weren't. Oh, okay. So when they found him, there were three gashes in the room at that time. <laughs> Don't like I'm that. I'm making sure we count properly the number mm. of gashes that took place can you really be sure how many of them were bloody uh, no we cannot be certain of that no. we can't even be certain how old his nieces were that's the answer way of telling us to move the fuck on well, from this conversation if you, if you don't tell i don't ask <laughs> it's like dudes move on this one's not okay the house was thoroughly searched by the attacker, but like with all the other cases, nothing was missing. A blood-covered axe was found in the yard, and it was clear that a panel on the back door had been forcibly removed. The MO is kind of uh, prevalent in, in most of these cases. He like chisels out a panel on their back door and climbs through. So it can't be a very large person because they wouldn't be able to get through that panel. Right? Short right. stocky would be tough. Hmm. 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 Something to consider. Joseph's murder kicked off a straight-up panic throughout the city. Police were flooded with calls from people claiming to have seen the axe man around New Orleans, and some reporting finding axes in their own backyards. Like it's like a calling sign or something, like a threat, like yeah, they left yeah. behind an axe. Oh, I'm sure the calls that were coming in. Hello, New Orleans police. This is Mrs. Hildebrand. I found an axe in my backyard. Can you send Officer Mike over to uh, Dust for Prince and take a look at my gash? Oh, man. Uh, Mrs. Hilda, my, ga my gash needs some attention from Officer Mike. I hope everybody listening to this right now is now thinking of Mrs. Hildebrand's gash and what that might look like. She is literally oh, a pretty nice looking gash. 97 years old. <laughs> you can use your imagination on that one. I'm like, don't bash the gash until you try it. <laughs> oh, boy. Don't speaking bash of, my gash. Speaking of Gabagool. <laughs> Charles Cordomiglia. Another Italian immigrant lived with his wife, Rosie, and their infant daughter, Mary, in Gretna, Louisiana, which was a suburb of New Orleans, right across from the Mississippi River. On the evening of March 10th, 1919, the neighborhood woke up to screams coming from the Cordomiglia home. One of their neighbors, Orlando Giordano, ran over to see what was going on. He found that Charles, Rosie, and their daughter had all been attacked. Rosie, with a severe head wound, was holding her dead daughter in the doorway while Charles was laid out on the floor. Again, nothing had been stolen from the house, but a panel on the back door was forcibly removed, and the axe was found in the back porch. Charles was discharged from the hospital two days later, but Rosie stayed under medical care. When Rosie regained full consciousness, she accused Orlando and his son Frank of the attacks. Given the fact that Orlando was super old and in bad health, it seemed unlikely that that would, that would be possible. And Frank, being over six feet tall and weighing more than 200 pounds, was unlikely that he could fit through 
the back door panel. Oh, there you go. That's what I was talking about. Uh, police arrested both Orlando and Frank and charged them with murder. Oh, because why not? <laughs> you know, nothing else to do today. <laughs> they were found guilty with Frank receiving a death sentence and Orlando receiving life in prison. Woo, death sentence, yeah! <laughs> you guys fucking love that shit. I can see your throbbing erections from here. <laughs> so Frank couldn't fit through the door. Yet he was convicted and sentenced to death for the murder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did they ever give any thought to, like, they didn't charge him with any of the other Axemen murders. Mm-mm. They were aware that it was a spree killer kind of situation at this point. Did they ever, did it ever give them pause? Like, hmm. Wait, quit asking rational <laughs> questions, Dave. What the fuck do you think you're doing here? <laughs> it seems odd because the way the, the story is told is that like visibly, especially uh, Orlando being very old, like he wouldn't have been able to do this. Yeah. Seems like some maybe some ulterior motives. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just to get close the case. Yeah, maybe just get people to shut up. Hmm. Did it make a difference also that there was a, a, a kid involved? Like this, there was that they had their dead daughter. Maybe this was just kind of like a Probably. like we need to just fucking close this case and make people seem like we got whoever did this specific one. Yeah, because everybody's already panicked about it. Then yeah, you throw in a dead kid and yeah. I don't think that's I mean, outside the realm of possibility. It's not okay. Sure. It's, I mean, I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying maybe that's that was their mindset was we just need to fucking close this one out. You know, speaking of death penalty, did you see that the state of Alabama tomorrow is going to execute somebody with a nit- nitrogen gas? First time ever in this country because they no. tried to give them lethal injection a couple years. It just fucking didn't take? Didn't work. They had them on the gurney for like really? four hours. So this is what they're doing, nitrogen gas, which just deprives your body of all oxygen. So it'll just suffocate. Yeah. Like, oh. Just shoot him in the head at this point, right? Like, why are we coming up with all these fancy things? Yeah, like, I, I don't know much of, like, you don't need to torture people, right? Like, you don't need to to make them suffer. You're suffocating. If you're, if you're killing them, just kill them yeah. then. Like, right. let's just fucking get it over with. Right. You don't need to, to prolong it. Also, a little off the rails, I think. I don't know. Well, it's fucking Alabama, man. Come on. (laughs) It seems like it would take a long time. A little bit, yeah. Would it, though? Like, I mean, they just, like, fucking turn it up? I'm not sure, because it's never been done in practice before. Here, in this country. So I'm not sure what the science... Well, I thought we were civilized, (laughs) but apparently (laughs) fucking not. It seems like you're choking to death. But we'll see. That's like a we're going to learn today type situation. Yeah, we're just yeah. going to wing this we'll and see what wait. happens. Tell one of the witnesses describes what happens, I guess. Well, it's almost like, you know, back in the day with the hangings, like that wasn't foolproof, right? Like sometimes oh. it might snap their neck with the rope breaks and then they're just like twitching on the ground. Or if it hits your neck wrong, you suffocate. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, if you don't break your neck on that initial drop. You're going right. to suffer a bit. It's, it's a really weird environment to be in when you're hoping for an initial neck break. That's right. <laughs> like, like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> what, where are we with this? So, yeah. Keep it's it, tomorrow? Keep I think, Did I, you say? I think it's tomorrow. By the time this comes out, it already have happened. I think it's, yeah, I think it is. Hmm, I missed that. Supreme Court uh, declined to block. Provide a stay of execution. That's interesting. So yeah, check it out. 
Hmm. Maybe they'll have a webcam up. <laughs> it's Alabama. Who knows? <laughs> Pay per view in Alabama. <laughs> I mean, skyrockets. <laughs> Deathchamber.al.org. <laughs> oh, man. Following the trial, Charles divorced Rosie. Then, almost a year later, Rosie recanted her accusation, saying that she falsely implicated the Giordanos. Her testimony was the sole evidence against them that led to their eventual release from prison. So thankfully, Frank was not executed. Come on. And she was prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law hmm. for lying. Was she? Should have been. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was almost executed because of you. Mm. Maybe now you should be executed. You almost cost this man his life. Yeah. I don't actually think she should be. But I don't think she she's definitely been. shouldn't just be allowed <laughs> to strongly <rope>. worded reprimand <laughs> at the minimum, at least pay some fines or something. Like, come on, just because like how often does that happen now? Mm, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> and you got these. Well, not great. Not a good system. Three days later, the newspapers received and published the following letter allegedly written by the Axeman said quote hell March 13th 1919 esteemed mortal they have never caught me and they never will they have never seen me for I am invisible even as the ether that surrounds your earth I am not a human being but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell I am what you Orleanians and you foolish police call the Axeman when I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc. But tell them to be aware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time, <laughs> On next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of you people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there are any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, 
I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fantasy. The Axeman. <laughs> it sounds like a dumb dude trying to sound smart. It does. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Earthly time. Oh, earthly time. So have jazz playing at twelve fifteen on Tuesday. Hmm. And everyone did. The whole city was full. Everyone packed into clubs and dance halls and they played jazz music all night. And there was no attack. There's some cool artwork too, like like publications Mm. with this, like with um like jazz being depicted. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just the Passover story, right? Like if you Paint lamb's blood on my door. The angel of death will pass over your house. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about just what poaching the yeah. Passover story, with yeah. replacing it with jazz. You're not very original, <laughs> Mister Axeman, <laughs> if that even is your real name, and I'm not convinced. Native of Tartarus, <laughs> whatever the fuck that means, Tartarus. But there was no murder that night, so it worked. People listened. Good for them. Jazz it up, baby. I do like some jazz. That's all right. Sure. I can have fun with that. If the killer really wrote that letter, that wasn't just somebody, you know, going into business for themselves. That would have to give them a ton of power, right? That everybody was that listened to that letter. Oh yeah, that would make you feel <clears throat> kind of godly, right? You'd be like, okay, I can spare everybody tonight. They mm-hmm. did what I said. Yeah, I own them. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you write another letter that says, hey, I love <laughs> naked dancing now. And unless everyone's out in the streets dancing naked at 1 a.m., I'm going to kill everybody. Unless everyone has a sock puppet on their hand. Or, <laughs> see what you can get people to do. <laughs> Hello, police. I'm, I'm out here in the street with my naked with my sock puppet. It's Officer Mike on his way. <laughs> Steve Boca, another local grocery store owner, was attacked on August 10th, 1919. No gabagool, probably. (laughs) He woke up to a figure standing over top of him and later regained consciousness. He realized he had been seriously injured. He had a gaping wound on his head. He ran outside and upon reaching his neighbor, Frank Janusa's house, he collapsed, losing consciousness again. His home, like others before, showed no signs of theft and a panel had been removed from the back door. Although Stephen eventually recovered from his wounds, he had no memory of the attack. Hmm. I notice um, that wound you described as gaping. Could that be considered a gaping gash? It could be. As well? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) In another attack on September 3rd, 1919, Sarah Lauman, a 19-year-old woman living alone, was found by her neighbors unconscious, lying on her bed. She had suffered a serious head injury and was missing several of her teeth. The attacker had gained entry through an open window and attacked her with an axe, which was later found in Sarah's front yard. Sarah recovered from the attack, but she didn't remember what happened. The last in the series of the Axeman attacks occurred on the night of October 27th, 1919, involving Mike Pepitone. His wife was woken up by a bang, and Mike reached the door just in time to see a large man with an axe running away. Mike Pepitone didn't realize, but he was severely injured and covered in blood. That's why I was talking about like that autopilot. Sure. Like yeah, you just yeah. go, you don't even realize. <clears throat> My wife gets woken up by a bang sometimes too. <laughs> she does. 
Boom. She's really mine. <laughs> well, how could she? <laughs> Neither Mike or his wife were able to provide any description of the attacker, and this marked the end of the attacks attributed to the Axeman. Hmm. See you next week. And we only have That's two, it, huh? two uh, like eyewitness accounts. Yeah. One a clean-shaven white guy. Then we have a stocky, dark skin, dark skin, yeah, man who couldn't fit through a panel in the back. Hmm. Maybe it's a tag team operation. Maybe the stocky guy was just going into business for himself. Was like, hey, I'm going to jump on this. And yeah. Sounds like a good time. I want to. I want to ax someone down. <laughs> I want to open up gashes. I'm a gash man. <laughs> The person most frequently linked to the Axeman is Joseph Monfrey, with variations of his name including Leon, Joseph Monfrey, Mumfrey, and Mamfrey. It's been suggested that that the seemingly random attacks on Italian grocery owners and their families was actually a part of a larger mafia conflict, with Monfrey potentially acting as a hitman. Monfrey is believed to be involved in mafia-related activities as early as 1907, including an arrest in 1908 for using dynamite on an Italian grocery store. Mike, they blew him up with dynamite. Believe that shit? (laughs) (laughs) I don't. No, I don't believe that. He's thought to have participated in the early phase of the axe murders around 1911 before being incarcerated. Oh, here we go. Notably, the murder stopped during his imprisonment and started back up after his release. Monafray's life eventually led him to San Bernardino, California, where he was allegedly shot and killed in 1921 by the widow of Mike Pepitone. There were similar axe murders that followed Monfrey out of Louisiana to California and then stopped in 1921 when he was killed. I mean, that's pretty good evidence. I, I saw that there were some murders, too, that happened through Texas that were linked hmm. that people believe were the Axeman murders as well. Pretty violent time back then. It's a really uh, do-or-die type West of situation. Yeah, yeah. a lot of shit going on. That's interesting, though. However, true crime author Michael Newton went through public police and court records in both New Orleans and Los Angeles, as well as dug into newspaper archives. Despite his research, he found no records of an individual named Joseph Monfrey. Why would you tell us that then, Ian? (laughs) Because that's the one that you always see brought up. He didn't find any other uh, variation of being, you know, a person being attacked or killed in Los Angeles. Additionally, Michael Newton was unable to find any records indicating that Mrs. Pepitone, sometimes referred to as Esther Albano, or just as claiming to be Mike Pepitone's widow, was ever arrested, tried, or convicted in California of killing someone. He also noted that the surname Momfrey was not uncommon in New Orleans during the time of the Axe murders. While there might have been someone named Joseph Momfrey or Mumfrey in New Orleans with a criminal background, impossible ties to organized crime the existing records weren't kept well enough to verify this or accurately identify the individual that you know would be in question the theory about joseph monofrey seems to be more of an urban legend than anything which is 
just leaves it as a complete cold case. That is amazing. Hmm. Amazing how people just can start urban legends and, you know, now that's the most frequently cited mm. reason, you know, identified as the killer. Like when you look at this case online, that's what you see. Yeah. yeah. First suspect, yeah. Joseph Monfrey. Well, look, when you guys were in middle school, you started a rumor about Marilyn Manson having a rib removed so he could <laughs> suck his own dick, right? I heard now that. that's gospel. Everyone, I certainly that. heard that quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was no, that's taken as truth. So same kind of thing, I don't think right? it hurts his image. <laughs> it doesn't make me. I don't feel one way or another about it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It wasn't real. It's real. It. <laughs> no, I don't give a shit. It's like oh, that guy. He had a goal and he accomplished it. He got that dick. <laughs> he's a hometown hero right he's from canton yeah right down the road i wish he didn't turn out to be such a piece <laughs> of shit god damn it why what's he do now all his the allegations of sexual abuse and stuff assault um did he just go away like i haven't heard about him in years yeah i think he's counting his lucky stars that he didn't do jail time mm. all right that's a bar i always like his music a lot yeah I saw him back at uh, Ozfest in like 2001. He was fucking awesome. It was a great stage show. Yeah, I like a and his like you said his music's. I liked a lot of his stuff. I didn't know what happened to him. Yeah, oh. just being a piece of shit. You suck your own cock. You don't need to leave the house. <laughs> no, why do you have to fuck around with any minors? Like that. That solves all the problems. <laughs> all of the problems. <laughs> a couple of the other things I saw in here was they thought that maybe he only killed men when they got in his way of killing women. Okay. I'm not sure that that fits exactly. That doesn't seem Because they're all sleeping, and then he just attacks like it seems like the men. Yeah. I think just because there's those two single women, yeah. I think they're maybe jumping to conclusions there. I'm not confident this is all the same guy. It sure doesn't feel like it all the time across the board. The first part is all Italians, and then it kind of goes off the rails after that. A little different. Yeah. There's also another theory where uh, they think it was a like a jazz club owner. He's trying to get master plan trying to get people to listen to jazz more. Like, I mean, uh, I understand. Right. I'm not sure. I, I, I it's, it's foolproof, but pretty <laughs> circular plan to do all this, and you come back around and like, oh, I'm gonna write the letter now and make everyone go to the jazz <laughs> yeah, club right. so I don't do it again. <laughs> so I don't know. Seems like a, several copycat killers. Yeah. I think someone was do, think doing some business in 1910, 1911, and who knows? You know, people like that get shot, get killed, and whatever, and then seven years or later. Get arrested for whatever else. Sure. I think I agree. I don't know. I don't think this is the same person. Or maybe the copycat killer then spawned an additional copycat killer, you know, in 1919. I don't know. It's just like the Jack the Ripper theories sure, and stuff sure. you know, and multiple yeah. killer theories and all that i think that's what i lean towards that's what it seems like i have another interesting story if you're interested sure there's this place in new orleans called the haunted hotel and they make some claims about the x-men this is new orleans oldest and best known haunted hotel it's built in 1829 the hotel has been home to nearly a dozen murders in the last 200 years this is on their website. They're just, this is the, their promotional material trying to get you to come Book now. there. <laughs> $99 a night. Reports of being haunted initially dated back to 1918 when New Orleans' infamous serial killer, the Axeman, 
left a bloody trail through the city, becoming one of the most notorious serial killers of the 20th century. To this day, his identity remains unknown, largely targeting the Italian population in New Orleans. Confirmed reports have verified that the Axeman lived in the hotel during the murders. Confirmed reports have verified. (laughs) He was renting one of the back rooms in the slave quarters. The Axeman was the handyman of the property and led a very unassuming life. He was never apprehended by the authorities. So this hotel is claiming to know who exactly who it is. Yes. Yeah, they never helped the police. Yes. <laughs> he lived in their hotel. They put him up the whole yeah. time. He was the handyman. Yeah, he had he was, continental he was, breakfast before he went out and killed people. He was every the morning. maintenance man of the hotel. <laughs> That's right. That's what they're claiming. And to cap things off here, while remodeling a few years ago, we found a bloodied axe hidden in the corner of the old <laughs> attic. It is now on display in our lobby for hotel guests to view and ponder. Are you brave enough to stare in awe at the axe man's <laughs> instrument of death? Or better yet, stay a night in the haunted hotel? Hmm. Hmm. So there you go. I mean, he, I, he lived I'd at the haunted there. hotel in New Orleans. Well, there it is. They solved the crime. Yeah. They told us who it was. Now we know. Without telling us who it was. <laughs> Confirmed reports. <laughs> That's right. In. Confirmed reports. <laughs> Verified and confirmed. <laughs> Use lots of words like that. Interesting story. It really is. Yeah. yeah. It's always interesting to go back in these like really old cases. Because when you think yeah. of serial killing, it's like all 70s. Sure, sure. But yeah, dangerous yeah. time to be alive. Fucking off Fucking the rails. No, yeah. <laughs> and like the the guy at the beginning, if you survive, probably just getting shook off to war. So one way or another, you're fucking dying. And everyone had fun in World War One in those trenches in the mud. They had a great time. It looked awesome. All the videos I see, they had so much fun. <laughs> All the gas it? attacks oh and stuff. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Nope. Mm. Have you ever been in New Orleans? I've never been in New Orleans. Mm-mm. No. I've driven through Louisiana, but I've never been in New Orleans. Yeah, I've been in Louisiana. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like a lot of drunk a-holes and hot and swampy and dirty. Yeah. It's not really at the top of my list of travel mm. destinations. No, no. Okay. Anything else? You find anything else of interest we didn't get to on this uh, in your research, Ian? No. No? Mm-mm. You good, Dave? Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to figure this one out. Probably it's not. lost to the ages at Probably this not. point. Well, they're focusing on one person, and I don't think that's the right path. I think you're right. If there's one lesson to be learned... Keep your gabagool stocked up. Oh! All right, Dave, what do we got? Thank you to new patrons Spangle Namapod, Libby Lynn. I just want my name read here. Thank you very much. There you go. That's it. (laughs) Austin Davis, Josh Spurgeon, Juliana Hageman, Lily, Alyssa Nesbitt, Jason Hayes, Chastity Brooks, Stanley Cresswell, Sierra Obregon, Torque Tech, Zach McComas, Scumbag Fuck Rat. <laughs> like, is that self described or did someone give you that name? Or <laughs> his mom. That's what my mom called me. <laughs> Stephen Cook, Larissa Robinson, Ginny. Again? Well, or Jiny. Gin, Ginny or Jiny. Rhino B, Bronwyn Tricky Cohen, Heidi Lutz, 
Logan Seekins. I saw the Bukaki Boys live in 69. <laughs> Nicole Whitener. Natalie Grosso. Necronama Loser 666. What? Going to the bad place. Real fucking winner. <laughs> Get it? He's not. He's a loser. Losing <laughs> his mom's bacon. Aaron Walton, Sean Vanstone, Floyd Rodriguez, Lindsey McFarlane, Jordan Boudway, Jay, Papa Shrek, Joe Vega, Kiera, Brandon Sykes, Janine Lewis, Bradley Baker, P. Jesperson, Coolius Maximus, Rhonda Joe Stratton, J. Duh 373, Earl Landry, Lulu D., Crystal August Stover, Alan Viteri, Enrique Ocaranza, McKenna Aaronholtz, Chance Linenen, Dave said spitting is quitting. I say swallowing is following. Swallowing id following. <laughs> Fucking nerd. <laughs> Fine. Don't swallow. Spit it out. See whoever loves you. Jesus. <laughs> Mike's from Mafia Mike's a little harsh tonight. Oh, you're going to swallow my spit. You're going to take in this gabagool. You're going to like the gabagool sauce. You look at the sausage. <laughs> he oh, I didn't kill a nobody. Oh. The shit in the bowl. You get some of my garlic bread. I give you the meat sauce. You look at the sausage. He's got the greatest hits going over there. <laughs> That's what spitters get. All of that. <laughs> I'm giving you the meat sauce. Aaron Orsborn, Lindsay Valentine, Catherine Godfrey, Morbid Tinkerbell, Lowlife Penguin, Cuck Pirate, Sadie, Chance, Mark, Beefy Testosterone, Justin Pullen, Jess Cobain, Chris Miller, Tommy Kelly, Sydney Estrada, Nathan Explosion, Philip Harass with Cum. <laughs> Philip Harass with Cum. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> Alex Marley, Aaliyah Uribe, Emily Bishop, Jocelyn, Caitlin Smith, Kim Cummer, Krista Rutmanis, Wyatt Moore, Eric Byers, Bigfoot Muff Muncher. I want to chew on Mike's nipples. Nope. The fuck you won't. <laughs> Travis Eggert. Pedro. Ashley Clemens. Ty Woods. Julie. Autumn Mooten. And Jenny. Thank you so much, new patrons. Ian, what do you got? Four iTunes. I have one for James West. James West would like to know, Dave, why you never mentioned anything about Michigan and Ohio State oh, about that game. I never heard it. What, what kind of game is that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think Michigan played Ohio State this year. Did Michigan football play I think, this I year? think he means water polo. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't follow water polo. Yeah. Right. I, don't, I don't think Michigan fielded a college football team this year, did they? <laughs> I, I, I wasn't aware of them. <laughs> never heard of her. <laughs> Nitty Shishi and Master Wizard 69. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. All right, Dave, what else you got? I got one do over. Actually, I, I, I read Chance. It's Shantae. Sorry about mm. that. Oh. 
That, right. that export put a little weird symbol in there for you. I also okay. have one. I Lydia SF. I don't think I said her last yeah. time we recorded. Okay. So thank Boom. you, Lydia. You did a make good. Yeah. I do have one foreign uh, shout out from Australia. DJ JDC. Thank you so much <laughs> for the <laughs> kind words from Australia. Awesome. Thank you. He's probably eating a meat pie when he made his name. Mm-hmm. He couldn't concentrate. Yeah, and we have one more from, uh, hang on one second here, one second. Thank you, Lauren Rutherford. Sent us these uh, homemade knit koozies for our beers with each of our names yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. So that's very cool. Keeps our uh, fingertips nice and warm yeah, in yeah. these cold winter trying months. We appear in the frozen tundra yeah. of Ohio. Yeah. Very so. nice letter, too. Yes, very nice letter. So, Lauren, thank you so much. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod, patreon.com slash Necronomapod for all of our bonus content. Necronomapod.com. We got some stickers out there. And Amazon.com. Search Necronomapod for all of our merch. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>